Hello and welcome to the Find You Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Pinkham. I want to give a huge shout out to everyone and anyone who shared the podcast over the past several weeks. Other than me offering quality information and hopefully an entertaining way, us, us blasting the message on social media, that's what helps the podcast reach more and more people that I don't know, along with word of mouth. That, along with leaving the podcast a great review on iTunes, it helps the podcast grow. With that said, guys, here's this week's episode on fitness watches. Are they accurate? Is it worth it? All of that good stuff. We're going to talk about it today. week of my fourth quarter of chiropractic college. I just started it on Tuesday. So, so far it's going well. I'm really excited about it. Uh, something that I really wanted to talk about today before we dive into the fitness watches and the accuracy of them and whatnot, I really wanted to talk about this guy on Instagram named Adam Klink. I think what he accomplished last week was one of the coolest things that I have ever at least, I guess, witnessed in a way, I, I mean, via social media, via YouTube, he back squatted. This was all in one day. He back squatted 500 pounds. He ran a sub five minute mile, which I think it was a 456 mile. And then he also did 50 pull-ups. Granted, they were kipping pull-ups, but still he did 50 pull-ups. He did that all in one day. And that's something that I've always just I admire that so much. I remember when I was starting to get into CrossFit, you know, I really kind of started asking myself, how do I define fitness and what is fitness to me? And if you actually, CrossFit has a definition of fitness and it encompasses like 10 different attributes. I think uh, power, speed, flexibility, acceleration, agility, uh, coordination, balance, and strength. And, you know, a few more. Basically, those 10 and cardiorespiratory endurance as well, those 10 attributes is what defines fitness in the CrossFit, CrossFit realm. And I think it's a great representation of what fitness is, regardless of if you do CrossFit or not. The fact that this man can run a sub five minute mile, he can get into the gym, squat 500 pounds and get on a bar and do 500 or sorry, 50 pull-ups. I look at that and I say, that is fitness. When I was first getting into the gym, I thought fitness was being able to look the part. It was the aesthetic portion. And now to some people who do bodybuilding, uh, who care about the aesthetics in that way, because they use that to compete or it's how they make their livelihood, that, that is how they define fitness and that's perfectly okay. Everyone's going to define it a little bit differently. And that's kind of the cool part about fitness is that it's unique to the individual. To me, when I was getting into the whole fitness thing, I was still playing soccer and I had put on a good bit of size, a good bit of muscle. I had like the six pack. I thought like, man, I this is fit. I'm fit. And then I would go out onto a soccer field and within like five minutes, I was gassed. I didn't really want to talk about it. While it was happening, I didn't really want to confront that fact that I couldn't run for five or 10 minutes without being tired, even though I looked like I was in shape. Uh, I was more caring about the aesthetic part of it. So I eventually got to the point where I 
asked myself the question that I didn't want to ask myself. And that was, is this really fitness? Like, do I really consider myself fit? And so I had to take a step back and define what fitness was. And like I said earlier, to, to me, fitness was something encompassing all 10 of those attributes uh, that CrossFit says is fitness. And I, I, th- I agreed with that. I thought that, man, you know what? Those are 10 things that we should all be able to do in some capacity. What you'll notice is that a lot of people that specialize in a sport or in a sport, a lot of those people that specialize in one are very, 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 very good in one or two of those things, maybe power, maybe strength, uh, maybe acceleration and agility. But you go and you put them, uh, test them through one of the other attributes and they fail miserably. One thing about CrossFit is they push the idea to the ability to do the common uncommonly well. And to me, I, like I said, I think this is a perfect example of that. Is that the fastest mile time in the world? No. Is that the heaviest back squat in the world? No. Is that the most pull-up someone's ever done in a row? No. But how many of those people can that can run a sub four-minute mile can put a barbell on their back and squat 500 pounds. Can those people even squat 200 pounds? How many of those power lifters that can easily, easily squat over 500 pounds run a mile in under eight minutes, nine minutes, or can get on a pull-up bar and knock out any amount of strict pull-ups or kipping pull-ups or whatever? To me, that's that's the beauty of, of what CrossFit does. And that's why that's why I become so attached to it in that way is that we're going to get so good at doing everything. We're not going to be the best in any particular category, but the, regardless of the situation that we face moving forward in, in daily life, which that is the idea, we're going to be prepared for it. And to me, this guy, again, his name is Adam Klink. Uh, it's his Instagram handle is at Adam Klink or Klink, or I think that's how you say it. K L I N K. He uh, posted it on his Instagram. He also did a YouTube video of everything happening in one day. And, and I just was absolutely amazed by it. And I just felt like I would want, I wanted to talk about it for a few minutes before we got into this, this whole fitness watch thing. So with the fitness watches, I really wanted to take an, an entire episode to talk about the accuracy of them. Uh, are they even worth it? Like, should you even buy one if you don't have one? How much you should rely on it? things like that. And fitness watches, they have definitely become more popular over the past four or five years. I remember when the first Apple watch came out and and the Fitbit and all that. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. But even I was even though I was into working out, I really didn't care that much about it. My first real experience with a fitness watch was when I bought Hannah, my girlfriend, the Apple Watch Series 2 for her birthday a few years back. And honestly, I bought that watch for her because of solely because of how it would track swimming. And I thought that was super neat. Like what kind of watch is able to, you know, get into the pool with you and track how many laps you're doing in the pool and, and your times and your splits and whatnot. I thought that was really cool. I never really care, cared much about how these watches tracked workouts or anything. And I, I just I, I can't really give you a reason on why I didn't care. I just was like, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to work out regardless of if I have a watch or not. 
So I, I kind of had that mentality for a little while, and that was until I bought the Apple Watch Series 3 the next year uh, for myself. And I've never been much of a swimmer. Granted, I've become one. I, I say that over the past few weeks. I've swam more times probably in the past three weeks than I ever have in my life prepping for this comp. But I've never really been much of a swimmer, but I, it was neat that I could use that feature if I ever got into it. And like I said, it, it, it's actually coming pretty handy as of late. There are a ton of different fitness watches out there. We have the Garmin uh, to the Fitbit to the Apple Watch, Galaxy watches. Uh, they even a popular one in the CrossFit realm is the Whoop or Recovery Watch. And probably there's probably so many more that I left um, off that list. As far as which one is the most accurate, I don't know. I truly don't think anyone really knows. I had actually seen that there are studies out there saying one is more accurate than the other, but I'm pretty into fitness and I bought the Apple Watch solely because I have an iPhone and the two could easily be synced. I could uh, download music onto my watch and then just Bluetooth my watch to my headphones and go on a run so I didn't need to bring my phone. Honestly, honestly, guys, Today's podcast could, could really be summed up right here. Your watch is not going to be 100% accurate, but your watch will give you consistent feedback. So, for example, a lot of people are always curious about all the calories burned and the activity, and then people will say, well, it's not accurate. You can't solely rely on it and this and that. Look, it's a good tool to have no matter what. If your watch says you burn 500 calories, for example, and your body actually burned 400 and you don't know how much your body burned. It's not going to tell you. There's not a ticker that goes off in your brain to tell you how much, but let's just say that we do know that number. So let's say your watch says you burned 500 calories, but your body actually burned 400. You know that you were off by 100. The thing is, you'll never know exactly how many calories your body has burned, but you will always know how much your watch says you burned. So even if that number on your watch is unequal to the actual number, it's still technically consistent and can be used as a gauge. You can use this same principle for steps. I track my steps uh, every day. I mean, it's, it, it's not like it's tedious to do. I just click on it and it tells me how many steps I have. So let's say theoretically, you count every single step you take throughout the day with your watch on, and you counted 8,000 steps that you took, but your watch says you took 8,500. You know that your watch comes up about 500 steps short every single day. And so in the future when this happens and your watch says you walk 10,000 steps, you know that it's typically 500 steps off, so you actually walked about 9,500 steps. The important thing, guys, is that you use your fitness trackers solely as a gauge. And let's let's talk a little bit about how I do that personally. So with the Apple Watch, I get an app called Activity. This syncs all of the data from my watch to my phone. And I'm going to go back, pick a random date to check out. And as you guys know, or if you don't know, I'm telling you now, I meticulously, I track all of my data my nutrition, my activity, everything. Before I dive into this, 
I need you guys to understand that it's very, very easy to get caught up in the idea of tracking every little thing. And if you let this stuff get into your head and affect every aspect of your life, it's a very dangerous and a bad rabbit hole to go down. I don't really look at these numbers day in and day out. I don't. Uh, the date that I'm pulling up, June 23rd, I haven't even looked at it since then. And I don't even know if I looked at it on June 23rd. So according to my watch on that date, I moved 1,775 calories. This just means that I started a workout and those were the calories I burned during the workout that day. Looking at that workout, which I track, and that's why I recommend you guys do this, write it down or whatever is, works best for you. There is definitely some running in that workout. I exercised 192 minutes, which is just over three hours. And honestly, it sounds like a lot. That was probably 30 minutes of warming up, uh, some cool downs, uh, resting between exercises and, and, and Metcons and whatnot. So my watch also tells me the total amount of calories I burned for the day. And it says 4,023. So that is the rough estimate my watch has predicted, has said that I burned based off of the data I submitted into it. I'm six foot, I'm 205 pounds, and I am 12% body fat. So according to that data, I burned 4,023 calories uh, on this day. Since this is a, I would say that this day of training is a pretty typical day for me. That's actually about how much I eat every day, which technically puts me in a maintenance of calories. Remember that calories, that's energy. Calories out, that, that's energy expenditure. So since that number is about even, like I said, I burned, according to my watch, 4,023 calories, <clears throat> excuse me, and I I burned 4,023 calories, and then I look at, uh, off of my fitness pal, I took in 3,969 calories for the day, so I ended up going about 60 calories left, less than what my watch says I burned for the day, and look, guys, I've determined that my maintenance calories when I trained for this long is about 4,000 calories because I've had a ton of practice with finding these numbers. I mean, I say a ton of practice. This is five plus years of being cognizant of this, of my calorie intake versus my calorie expenditure. It takes a lot of practice. It's not easy to know. This isn't something that if you're going to start trying tomorrow, you're not going to like just pick up on it immediately. You're not going to know. That's the cool part about fitness. I mean, in all honesty, you have to earn the right to get where I am. And for me to get to the next level, I have to earn the right to get where they are. And if it were very easy, it just wouldn't be as rewarding. For me, though, I actually didn't find out that my activity app told me how many calories it said I burned throughout the entire day. I used to think, actually thought it was just the move calories until I was doing some investigating and I saw, oh, it tells me what it thinks the total calories amount I burned for that day was. And it really, that it actually kind of makes me feel a lot better about this because it solidifies my assumption based off of my experience over the past five years of 
what calories I need to consume and how many I need to consume in a day. And I was predicting during this time of training, 4,000 or so was about my maintenance. And with this number telling me 4,023, and as I just kind of scanned through the, the days following it and, and prior to, it, it's all around 4,000, a little more, a little less. Just it depends on the workout for that day and, and my activity around that. And that makes me feel pretty good about my assumptions. And I also see it in my weight and my body composition. I, I stay pretty lean. Over the past year, I probably have gained four to five pounds. I would say mostly muscle. Uh, it, you know, that is a lot of muscle, but I, I, I have gained weight and I'm consistently sitting around from, I used to sit around anywhere from 200 to 205. Now I sit anywhere from 205 to 210. It just depends on what I've had the day before, my water consumption, my sodium consumption, my uh, exercise, my calories, uh, just so many things that go into that. So I am going to reiterate this. You can't get too anal about, you, you can, sorry, you can get too anal about tracking these numbers. Sometimes, guys, I, I don't put my watch on until 11 a.m. Sometimes I don't track my food in my fitness pal. Guess what? It, it's no big deal. It, it definitely would be a problem if I had to put my watch on before I even sat up out of bed so I'd get accurate numbers or that I wouldn't eat a certain food if I couldn't find its nutritional facts or if I wouldn't work out unless I had my watch on. To me, if your mindset is there and you have a fitness watch, that's kind of a red flag to me. You should be able to work out without your watch on. Now, granted, I, you know, if I get to the gym and I forgot my watch, I'd be like, oh man, I, I forgot my watch. I just wanted to, I wanted to have it. It's not going to stop me from working out. I'm not going to go home and get my watch, but it, it is something that that is there. I'm not going to pretend that I'm like, oh, I don't need it. I, I like to have it. But if you find that you're addicted to it and you have to have it, you know, that's kind of a red flag. And the same thing goes with tracking food. The same thing goes with, uh, uh, you know, putting the watch on right when you wake up in the morning. The, the same thing goes for all of that. Perhaps the biggest pro to having a fitness tracker or a fitness watch is the step counter. I've always suggested that everyone tries to hit 10,000 steps per day. On average, depending on you, your height, your stride length, that's four to five miles of walking around a day. To me, this is the real indicator of how active you are throughout the day. If you get your typical LA Fitness Bro two-hour workout in, you may move for, let's say, 4,000 steps. That's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that you went and worked out. I'm glad you had a good session. You may be stronger and more jacked than me, and I, I think that's cool. But if you go home and you sit on the couch for the rest of the day, how active were you really? You moved for two out of 24 hours. I'm not saying that you have to bring the intensity that you brought to the gym, but you got to move more. One of my favorite things to do when, it's when it comes to training clients is to get them to up their step count if they have any type of fitness trackers. I love it when they do. If I were in the position to where I was just flooded with clientele and I could not 
I, I could pick and choose my clients. A requirement I would absolutely have would that they would have to have a fitness watch. Now, and then that would make me want to have that requirement. And, and they're also very expensive as well. Uh, but I do. I love it when they have that tracker because it, I can get such a, a better picture of your overall activity for the day. If, if a client is just working out with me one hour a day and like I said earlier, is going home and doing nothing, how valuable was that one hour? It, it's better than nothing, absolutely. But increasing your steps just takes a little bit of extra thought throughout the day. Those are things like taking the stairs opposed to the elevator or parking in the back of the parking lot at the grocery store or wherever you're going or getting up for a five minute walk every little while while at work uh, or making it a thing to go on a family walk uh, after each meal. And to me, this is the most valuable aspect of a fitness tracker. The two other things that I really, really like about my watch and, and, and fitness trackers in general is how it just it keeps up with the distance of my runs and swims when I swim, bikes and, and the heart rate monitor that it has. The fact that it can track my distance on my runs has been an absolute lifesaver. Now that I actually run more and, <laughs> and I don't just go to the gym and, and lift weights and go home, uh, I can actually know how much I run without having to bring my phone on the run or downloading an app to track it. If I have to run a mile, I'll just run until my watch says 0.50 miles and then I turn around and I finish it up. I can do that absolutely anywhere. I don't have to walk the distance out or anything time consuming that honestly would detour, uh, would, uh, detour me from actually running. And I feel like it's pretty accurate as well. When I run with others who have a fitness watch, I always want to know what their watch says the distance is to compare to mine. Usually it's all right on the money or within like 0 0.01 or 0 0.02 of, of each other. To me, that's that's good enough. And, and and I'm serious with the idea that having being able to just go and run and not having to mark out a distance, even if I have to do it on my computer before or after, those are just things that I don't want to do. And it's not... <laughs> It, it, sure, I could just not be as lazy and do it, but the convenience of having a watch and just saying, okay, I'm going to go run and I'll just run until like whatever the desired distance is and I'll come back and I like, I boom, I did it. It tells me my pace. It tells me uh, my pace per mile. It tells me my heart rate during that pace. And I, a lot of great data you can pull from that alone. With the heart rate monitor, I should honestly utilize this feature a lot more than I do now and start tracking it really with a Metcon or a run or a certain lift to see what percentage of my heart rate max I was flirting at. I probably use it the most for tracking my resting heart rate, but it's always interesting to see what my heart rate is in certain situations. You know, there are times when I'm, I'm laying on the couch watching a, a really intense show on Netflix or Hulu. Uh, we've been watching... Let's see, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I watched the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I absolutely love that show. I think it's my favorite show right now. And uh, Homeland. So those are kind of some shows we're flirting back and forth with. And I could be like sitting on the couch just really into this show. Maybe it's something really intense happening. And next thing you know, my watch is giving me a notification saying that my heart rate dipped below 40 beats per minute for more than 10 minutes in a row. 
<laughs> I and and that to me, I'm I, I like that my heart rate is that low uh, for while I'm resting. But it's a very unique situation because if I had to evaluate that ten minutes, I'd say, dude, I thought my heart was pumping. It, this was a really intense situation, but it wasn't. What I want to start utilizing more, and this is me kind of talking talking about it on the podcast. Hopefully, hopefully that means it'll come true, right? But what I want to start doing is, is utilizing my heart rate more during certain bouts of exercise, like during a different Metcon during throughout the week, just to just to gauge my perceived effort versus my actual effort, according to my heart rate. A, a lot of times, and especially in CrossFit, especially when you really get into it, when you're in the midst of a, of a Metcon, you want to quit and maybe you want to slow down. And eventually, depending on how long you have left or where you're at in the workout or time wise, uh, you're going to give yourself every reason to to want to quit. Now, I, of course, uh, I feel like I have to say this. I'm looking over the fact that sometimes you do really need to slow down. You don't need to pass out. And like if shit starts getting blurry uh, and, I, and I'm going to get goosebumps, I'm going to slow down. I'm talking more of less, more or less like when it hurts and you're breathing hard and you're just trying to tell yourself every reason on why you should quit. I want to take those moments and compare that to my actual heart rate. I've noticed that uh, there's a there's a book it's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I mentioned it on the podcast before. I I actually I need to reread it because it's such a I just love that book, one of my favorite books of all time. But one thing that he mentions in the book is that when we think we're giving 100% effort, we're actually giving 40% effort. And to me, that's just so beautiful because I think about times when I'm in, a, I'm in the midst of a workout and I'm like, dude, I cannot do another rep. I need to take 10 seconds rest. I need to put the bar down. I need to put the ball down or I need to just slow down a little bit. And then I just don't and I work through it. And usually in those moments, I, I often think about what he said. And he said that when we feel like we're at 100 percent, we're only given 40% effort. And so that tells me that I have a lot more in the tank. And hopefully by me kind of saying this on the podcast, I'll pr- start practicing it a lot more. Uh, but actually going back and evaluating what my heart rate was during that workout versus what I thought it was. And let's actually, how about this? I'll do it right now to see if, if I can. So... Okay, I had a tough workout last Monday at the gym. Did I start my watch though? I don't think I did. Giving you guys some live live action right here. So I did a workout on Monday, uh, this past Monday, uh, July 13th. And it was, so the workout, the Metcon portion. Okay. Yeah, well, we can play with this because this, this seems, huh. So the Metcon portion was 21 reps of, it's 21.15.9. So I did 21 reps of 21, uh, 21 reps of toes to bar and then 21 reps of a power snatch. And then I did 15 reps of toes to bar, 15 power snatch, nine toes to bar, nine power snatch. And then you go directly into nine calories on the assault bike, into nine overhead squats, 
15 calories on the salt bike, 15 overhead squats, 21 calories on the salt bike, 21 overhead squats. The weight for the snatches and the overhead squats was 95 pounds for guys and 65 pounds for girls. Now, my hip has actually been giving me a little bit of a problem and I probably really should have scaled this workout. But when I got in the moment, uh, it was feeling good and it was probably more or less my adrenaline running. Nonetheless, I said, you know what, I'm just going to move through this workout at a comfortable pace. Uh, I don't know. Let's see what comfortable would be if I were to guesstimate my max, my max heart rate. Uh, if you guys don't know this trick, just go 220 minus your age. So I'm uh, 26 now. So my max heart rate would be technically 194 according to the scale. Um, so my average heart rate for at, at least the time of this Metcon, it says it was at 110 beats per minute. I'm going to assume that it was actually at about 130 because part of that 110 was the strength before which was a six by two overhead squat. So I was taking my time between sets. So I know that while my watch was running the workout, uh, it probably dropped the average heart rate a little bit. So let's just say during the Metcon, because uh, it kind of tells me what my heart rate got up to and actually says, so I had, let's see. So it's actually saying my heart rate was around anywhere from like one, 30 and I got all the way up to 181. So let's just kind of play with those ranges. So if my, my uh, predicted heart rate max is 194, let's say that during the Metcon, it was around 130 beats per minute. So if I just do 130 divided by 194, that's going to put me at 67% of my, my heart rate max. So that would say that my, like my effort uh, going into that workout, maybe maybe when it was first starting and I was trying to pace myself. So that workout, by the way, had a 17-minute time cap. So obviously, I'm not going to come out of the gate uh, guns a-blazing. You have to be smart. If you're going to be working for up to 17 minutes, you don't want to come out at your sprint pace because uh, you're just going to fall off a cliff and live, and that rest of that 17 minutes is going to feel like uh, an hour because it's never going to end. So if my max got up to 181... 181, let's see, 181 divided by 194, that's at 93%. I mean, that's pushing my my predicted heart rate max. And I would say during that, I definitely got to that point. And that was probably right at the end of the workout when I had 21 calories on the bike and I got into 21 overhead squats, 95 pounds. My goal was to not put the bar down for all 21 squats. Uh, but... You get in that moment and you say, I'm going to hold on. And it gets to a point where you just can't hold on anymore. And so I think I did 17 and then I took maybe five seconds, 10 seconds, picked the bar back up and did the last four. So I would say based off my perceived effort, because uh, I remember this workout quite well, I would say that, that it sounds about right. It sounds that at the beginning I was kind of pacing myself. I could see it maybe being a little lower than 130 beats per minute for the first little bit. But I could see it quickly rising. And then definitely towards the end of that workout, when I was trying to go ahead and move and trying to finish that workout, uh, the overhead squats without putting the bar down uh, to get the best time possible, I could definitely see it getting pretty high. There's a lot of situations in workouts where if it's like just a long monostructural piece where we're going on a nice long run or anything like that, where we'll work on a few different things. Uh, something that I've 
implemented some, I would like to do it more, uh, would be called nasal breathing. So it's nothing super intense, but you can only breathe through your nose. So if you start to find that you need to breathe through your mouth, it means you're going too hard and you need to slow down and work on your breathing and pace and just breathe through your nose. There's some monostructural pieces where it's focused on uh, your heart rate. And so obviously you can't control your heart rate every, you can't really control it uh, in uh, per second, so to, so to speak. Uh, but you can collectively control it, I guess, by slowing down or speeding up, if you know what I mean. So there's pieces where for this five minute run, your goal is to get your heart rate between 120 and 140 beats per minute. And then for the next five minutes, you're going to push at a pace that's 140 to 160. That's going to that's going to force you to uh, put in the necessary effort to get your heart rate there opposed to the perceived effort. So that means I have to see those numbers pop up on my watch as I'm running, which means that and, and, and that's very good practice to say, OK, my heart rate's at 160 right now. That's approximately, let's see, 160 divided by 194. That's approximately 82 percent, 83 percent of my heart rate max. But it feels like the perceived effort, I'm feeling like I'm more at like 70 or 65 percent. Or I'm feeling like I'm at 90 or 95 percent. And it just kind of puts things into perspective. So when you get in a situation where, you know, maybe you're starting to freak out because you feel like you're you're crashing and burning. Maybe you're not. Hopefully you all enjoyed today's podcast and maybe learned a thing or two about fitness trackers, even if you don't own one. And maybe you learned a way, a new way to implement uh, usage of your watch during your daily life. I definitely, definitely recommend everyone gets one. It really paints a good picture of how active you are throughout the day and during your workouts. Remember that with whatever tracker you own, it's not going to be 100% accurate. But don't let that steer you away from the idea that you shouldn't get a watch because it's not 100% accurate. It's up to you to understand that, yes, it's not going to be completely accurate, but if you know that, and can over time roughly estimate what is right, it's all good.